This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Tony, are you there? Can you I hear me? I'm here, I think. Okay. <laughs> you think, so that... You know, I'm always, I don't really trust the remote technology, so... That's fair. That's a fair statement, and I understand it completely. Uh, we are, again, in different locations because everybody's in different locations right now. There's nobody really grouping uh, into large groups. Although, I have to admit, I do group into larger groups probably than anybody listening to us right now uh, on a daily basis because I'm still considered essential personnel. So, I am out there being essential. Um, wow. Yes, I. That was, a, that was a bureaucratic error. So. It was. I, I questioned it at the time, and uh, I was told, "No, no, you are completely essential." And I was given an official letter that, when the police stopped me, I could say, "No, no, I'm, I'm essential. I've got this it right here." Important question. <laughs> yes. Has there been a single government job that has been determined to be not essential? A single one. Not the, you mean. You think they all are essential or they think none of them are essential? I'm actually asking that question because I don't think there has been probably any federal level government job, even if you're the vice uh, assistant (laughs) to the deputy director of the Ministry of Dog Catching. I don't think any of that has been deemed non-essential. You know, I was going to go straight to deputy dog. So it's funny you went dog catcher on me. I mean, and it's kind of like a semi-serious question because has there been like any, no. or is it just sort of, if you work for the federal government, you're, everything's essential. Of course it is. Well, I, I think it was interesting in the, the last, the, the $2 trillion budget pass or funding program, $25 million was to help the house of representatives work from home. I thought that was a little crazy because you mean they don't have computers already? We had to fund more stuff for them yeah. to work from home. Well, uh, they're all also both, you know, if you look at their average income, median income, they're kind of impoverished. People. So <laughs> well, by DC need- standards, they are. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, for you're, the rest wait, of the country you're, now. You're, you're saying that assuming that they're living on their government salary. Is that correct? Well, I, I would assume that they're not living in a fraternity house with 12 other people to make rent. No, I I believe they're living in their brownstones by themselves. As we've oddly seen, now a lot of these people come from wealth already, but even the ones that don't somehow magically uh, become very wealthy, earning their whatever Mm. it is, 200. 176. 176. (laughs) It's a nice wage, but generally you can't own $3 million houses on the beach. It's hard to, and that's senators or representatives that they get the same amount. Ironically, Nancy Pelosi makes two twenty six a year well, and she earns every penny billion or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't seem to matter a whole heck of a lot. So, you know, lots of things have happened, but I honestly, Bernie Sanders dropped out of the the presidential race today, and oh, size. Yes, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> was he still in? I mean, that was the question. What he he said he had a narrow path before Wisconsin, 
And then for some reason, the Reds in Wisconsin didn't vote for him. Uh, now, the, the irony to me is he was more competitive against Hillary Clinton than a dead man. And that's hard to believe. So is it his shtick has worn thin or did people really not like Hillary Clinton or both? It could be both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Well, people really did not like Hillary Clinton. And you're correct. I Actually, I don't think that his shtick per se has worn thin. In fact, he, in my view, represents what is now the beating heart of the Democratic Party. I mean, good grief. Even Weekend at Bernie, you know, <laughs> Bernie's Joe Biden has said, essentially, I agree with everything that Bernie wants. I just, you know, say it in my completely mentally deteriorated moderate way. So um, <laughs> I think Bernie's problem was that all of the power brokers who still pay attention to whether someone can get elected realized he was the uh, the CCP Titanic. And so, <laughs> you know, we, we just can't, he can't be the messenger, right? We right. still have to have some level, some level of, okay, the mask is kind of all the way off, but with him, you know, you might as well, you know, you might as well be running one of the Castro brothers. So he, it wasn't, it wasn't that his message has lost its appeal. It's that you just can't, you can't bamboozle enough people with him on the top of the ticket. It just can't work. Well, it was interesting. I'm listening to some old episodes of somebody else. And at the beginning of February, prior to South Carolina and Super Tuesday, Bernie's the man. Everybody else is a dead man walking, including Biden. He's dead in the water. He makes no chance on this. And then South Carolina hits, and suddenly Bernie can't get out of his own way, and Biden suddenly looks like he's alive for reasons that still make no sense to anybody with an actual brain. Why? What changed? Did, it, it, was it so much that Bernie was so radical that even – the leftist leaning democratic party could not stomach him or was it that everybody's coming out to because they love Biden? Cause that doesn't seem likely either. Does it? No, they don't, they don't love Biden. And now they're panicked about Biden because he clearly needs to be in an assisted living facility, skilled nursing. I mean, I, you know, that may sound mean, but I want to read something. Go ahead. I, I, Chad and I were joking before we came on because I'm sure you've been doing all of your usual research, which I had been, which is nothing. Um, <laughs> however, I just actually pulled up on my phone. I, I'm going to read. This is about a paragraph snippet of Joe Biden appearing on one of the, I think it's ABC's this week. Okay. I'm going to quote a direct transcribed quote. It doesn't even matter what he was responding to. So listen to this. This is Joe Biden, quote, he's being asked about something about coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Quote, we cannot let this, we've never allowed any crisis from the Civil War straight through the pandemic of 17, all the way around 16. We have never, never let our democracy, sakes, second fiddle, way they, we can both have a democracy and correct the public health. End quote. This is a man <laughs> who's... Um, the neurons are not all firing. And this, I mean, this has become now, it's almost a running joke yeah. that this guy is before your eyes. The, the guy can't be president. And when I say, what I mean by that is 
he he does not have the ability to function. Remember all the remember all the uh, first year talk when Trump was like the twenty fifth amendment, uh-huh. right? It's still that he's crazy, he's insane. He has some kind of venereal, literally, he has a venereal disease that is rotting his brain, yeah. right? This is some of the stuff they were trotting out. Joe Biden, anybody, anybody who listens to him, watches him within the last two, three months, you're looking at a man that cannot function. Like he, he's losing it, not losing it like he's going crazy. His mental faculties are deteriorating in front of our eyes. I, I, don't, I don't relish saying that. Four years ago, that was we said this. That was his window. Right. They shouldn't run him instead of Hillary. I don't know whether he would have beaten Trump. I, I think he might have. Um, but they ran, you know, they ran the Lizard Queen from V, and that's what they got. But now Biden is he's damaged goods. They they cannot have him in front of the American public for any extended period of time between now and the election. So does this does this Corona lockdown help Biden that much because he's so incompetent in front of the public that they don't have to trot him out because everybody is locked down? Or- no, I don't think it's actually helping him. I mean, okay. in other words, this is a, an unfixable problem. Yes, it helps in the sense that, well, you can't see that he's uh, continuing to decline. But on the other hand, you're running for president. They have to see you. Right. You cannot, my favorite Mike Tysonism, you cannot fade into Bolivian. And so he <laughs> he is completely irrelevant. He's stumbling around in a closet trying to set up, you know, 30 minute, what is he having? These little supposedly oh, yeah. his shadow government yeah. coronavirus uh, you know, press conferences where he he can't even, you know, figure out how to read the teleprompter. He wanders off the stage. So no, this is, this is a disaster. There's nothing that they can do with him. So the, the question becomes, has, and I know that our focus is on the daily, how many affected, how many dead here, and then compare us to everywhere else in the world. But does this really, does this coronavirus now assume we'll get to that in a second, but does this make the presidential field Biden and Trump, I guess at this point, does it help either party right now, or is it damaging equally to both because of each each's weaknesses? Do you? I think? actually think this is um, this is helping Trump tremendously. Now, okay. why do I say that? And I've actually read some stuff from kind of operatives, political operatives within the Obama White House who have said the same thing. And the reason is Trump. Look, Trump is front and center every day doing something. Now, of course, the mm-hmm. media is trying to spin every single thing that he does as the worst thing that has ever happened, right? But so far, you know, the polls are his polls are remarkably stable. Mm-hmm. The conventional wisdom would be if you're a president now and we're heading into a severe economic crisis, we're already in the middle of one. It's going to sure. get worse. Sure, that, that that's bad for you, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, so there's two things going on. There is no other candidate who's out there saying, here's my plan. Look at me. I can string a sentence together. I I actually am healthy and <laughs> mentally alert. He's not there. And so I think what the public mostly sees is, hey, that Donald Trump guy is at the podium. He's doing stuff. Yeah. He's, he's trying. He's working with the you know Dr. Fauci, the greatest man alive. 
and all his <laughs> other advisors. So I think ultimately this is benefiting Trump. Now the question's going to be in the next two or three months, depending on, you know, when does this lockdown end? We have to get the economy restarted. If things really, really get bad, if we have to spend another two months with these closings and businesses, does the public start to blame the president? That's clearly the strategy, right? They're going to try to, they've already tried to establish the fact that somehow he has been singularly inept. And I want to talk a little bit about the, the memory hole for all the issues, right? As if Donald Trump is the only one that somehow got this wrong. And all the other wise men knew this was incredibly serious from the beginning. Uh, that's So that's there, that part of it. You've, you've botched coronavirus, and that's why people are dead. And the, the economy now, which is wrecked, is your fault. That's going to be, that's the game plan. Is it going to work? I don't think it's going to, but well, we'll see. Well, my concern is that with a roaring economy, it's hard to kick out the incumbent party. But when the sure. economy tanks and this is going down the tubes, is it, do people say, you know what? Everything was good for three and a half years, but man, I'm going to the poll right now. And I lost my job and, and all these other things. And it, it may be Donald Trump, if he'd have just been prepared and, and use the defense initiative to, you know, stockpile everything and, and gotten ventilators made out of thin air, then maybe I wouldn't have lost my job. I mean, is, is, is middle America, I, I don't care about the coast because the coasts are leftist twits. What does middle America say? Because middle America is going to suffer and is suffering right now. That's a hundred thousand dollar question. Um, I think right now, middle America is not inclined to blame Donald Trump for a virus that I, I think I may be saying something racist came from China. Um, so I actually think the more dangerous and difficult issue for Trump is going to be if his constituency views him as a guy, remember the reason that Trump is there is because he's draining the swamp, right? He's not your typical politician. He's he is disturbing the Republican side and the Democratic side because he's doing things his way. He's making stuff happen. If he continues, and and again, he may have to because they'll crucify him politically. Let's say if he if he dares to dissent from his medical advisors, but if if the red state Americans who are his core his loyal base view him as taking now the side of the people that they don't like by keeping the economy locked down. If they, in other words, if they think that he is changing and no longer the guy that is willing to say, you know what, this is ridiculous. We're getting America back on its feet again. Right. And it's a very complicated issue. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest danger for him is if they perceive him as no longer being the guy, that's going to buck the system. He's the president. He's in the big chair. You got to find a way to make, you know, you got these restaurants have to open up. These people have to go back to work. And again, there's a whole number of variables that have to be considered there. So that's the danger. The danger is do they, I don't think they're going to blame him for what's going on. The possibility exists is if people continue to lose jobs and lose homes and lose businesses because of this lockdown, they may start to say, why aren't you doing anything to stop this slow motion disaster? Well, I think I agree with you up to a point, but I think he has actually verbally 
we talk about actions and words verbally right now i think he he's saying things that makes makes you think well i i'm still the swamp drainer but i think his actions are a political gamble that i think is going to fail for him and for the country because i think you need to isolate certain populations because of this but i, I don't agree. believe the entire country should be on lockdown i don't care what dr fauci says I don't care what the CDC or Dr. Bricks says. They're highly respected, but I believe if you're a medical person, your your prescription for the country is lock it down for the foreseeable future, up to including years until we make sure we've killed this virus. Now that that is a, that's an excellent point, and of course, all of the moral crusaders, um, you know, who are atop their soapboxes, are th their response to that is going to be. You don't value number one. You're anti-science. <laughs> you you will not not bow to the quote unquote experts. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you're placing economic concerns, right? Mm -hmm. The mammon, the, the bags of money <laughs> yes. over the lives of people. And so we're going to discuss this. But I want to hear Chad. How do you respond? How do you respond to the people that are telling you to shut up and listen <laughs> to your betters like Dr. Fauci? Well. No, and this is no disrespect to Dr. Fauci or Fauci or how you say his name or anybody else in the, in the medical sciences area. But my vat, my vast experience, listen to me, my experience with, with medicine and with statistics and with modeling is that without the right data, without sufficient data, you come to wrong conclusions and statistical analysis can be manipulated to give you a lot of answers that you might want to have that might support a thesis you've put out there. I don't think Dr. Fauci is trying to mislead. I think he is a bit chicken little and, and this isn't over. So he could be proven right and I could be proven wrong. And I don't have to sit in the big chair and make these decisions, but I, I counter it by saying, okay, I can look at certain countries who have done you know, stay at home, social distancing. And I want to talk about that for a second, but you can also look at countries such as Sweden, which is a much smaller population. No question. They're not in the same realm as what we are or other countries in the world, but they are similar to Norway. They are similar to Switzerland who were both locked down and their rate of progression of the disease is much lower. Now, I don't know if that's because they haven't socially distanced as much as everybody else, but their economy hasn't shut down. Food is still getting through. There's no rationing of supplies, which is what we have here. But if you think about what social distancing actually should be, it would be literally you locked in your house with your family and food is somehow delivered by somebody because somebody has to get it to you and you stay home. That would be social distancing. But this garbage where you can go to Walmart and you can go to Target and you can go to the grocery store, that's not social distancing. That's just limiting the places where you can go. You're still interacting with people. You can still go to restaurants and get takeout. Now, I went to a restaurant last week, and I ordered it online to pick up and deliver to my car. But they were so busy because so many people came in and waited inside for their food to take out. No different than they would have done six months ago. So there was no social distancing. It was simply, we're just waiting here versus out in our cars because it's a little colder outside, so I'll just wait inside. So we're not really social distancing. So we're shutting down an economy 
but we're not actually doing anything that they say might help. And I don't know if it'll help or not. I'm not convinced that well, the general okay, population so is at risk. There's a couple of things that you said there. I, I first want to go back to what you said about Fauci, because I want to debunk this idea that, you know, anyone who says anything negative about Fauci is some mouth breathing pro magon <laughs> who just, you know, I might be, you never know. You don't, listen, you don't listen to experts, but here's the point. You made the point that Fauci has, has been wrong. Of course he's been wrong. Mm -hmm. Everyone has been wrong. There are so many unknowns about this disease. One of the things, and we can talk about this a little later, as of January 14th, okay, this critique about Trump being this Pollyanna who's telling everyone that he, it's okay. He was the only one, right? He was the only <laughs> one out there saying, don't worry about it. Go frolic at the beach. You know, meanwhile, <laughs> all the other sober-minded media folks were warning, dire warnings. They all knew. As of January 14th, you can look it up. Fauci was on a program literally telling the interviewer, this is not a major problem right now mm -hmm. for the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's not a so, – so basically – and by the way, I'm not blaming Fauci for that. No, okay? I wouldn't know. Fauci was wrong. Uh, the World Health Organization was wrong because they're basically the stenographers for China and were uncritically <laughs> accepting what China was saying. Oh, boy. The media was wrong. So it's not about not listening to Fauci, but Fauci is a medical expert. He does not have expertise and nor should anyone listen to him about the other things that are very, very important. So Dr. Fauci is a doctor, a physician who wants to heal people. Of course, he's going to say, well, my focus is until the last person, you know, can be saved. We just can't relent. Well, well guess what? A president cannot rely solely on that narrow perspective because guess what? Wrecking, literally wrecking our economy, ruining hundreds of millions of lives, putting people into depression and suicide. I mean, these statistics exist. And it's interesting, the people on the left seem to understand this inherently when they talk about other issues. But guess what? If you go into a depression, there are going to be huge human costs to that. You, you track the number of deaths just based on suicide, you know, correlated with GDP. Yeah. Okay, there's a clear relationship. So the point is, you listen to Fauci, but you listen to all the other people who are economic experts who say, we cannot have the country staying like this indefinitely. It's its own human disaster. You've got Zeke, um, Zeke Emanuel, okay? You know who that is? Yeah. Yeah. The, one of the architects of Obamacare, who now hilariously is one of Joe Biden's chief you know, advisors on this. He just came out a couple of days ago and said, well, obviously the economy must remain like this or the lockdown 12 to 18 months. <laughs> Is the man insane? No. 12 to 18 months. You're not going to have a country left. I mean, that, that's, that is Greta Thunberg might as well have made that pronouncement. Right. But do you think that's, I look at that as the only path where Biden even makes remote sense is if, what, what do you mean? well, if you say the country has tanked and it, and you can somehow legitimately prove to the rank and file that it's Trump's fault, and I don't think they have, but if you can prove that or at least convince them of that, then Biden is a viable option because he didn't kill us. That, that's what it comes down to. I didn't, my family didn't die because, you know, Biden's here to save us. Trump's trying to kill us. That's the, no, that's the I equation. So. But my larger point was, this whole thing about, you know, experts, this guy, Zeke Emanuel, 
saying, okay, this guy's supposed to be a serious, intelligent guy. If you're going to sit there and literally propose, we're going to continue to do this for a year, given, given the shock waves from what a month, right? You, you, the, the hilarious part of Zeke as well is that he's on record as saying, you know, like uh, sort of a good Margaret Sanger disciple, <laughs> eugenicist, that guys over 75, people over 75, really not useful anymore. And it's like, who are you advising again? Like, I, I kind of agree based on how your boss appears. Um, <laughs> but so Fauci has his input, but there is simply no way that Trump is going to be able to continue to just listen to a medical expert say, well, there's still risk, so we can't do anything. That, that is a dereliction of his responsibility as a president. Now, now, what's the correct balance there? I don't know. And a lot of people can disagree. But the, the, making the sole focus, the economy doesn't matter because I want to seem morally superior like Andrew Cuomo and say, oh. if only one life can be saved. We've talked about this before. Yep. That's an absurd argument. Yep. That, that is not a serious argument for policy. Nor should it be. So the question becomes... Do we read? And I, I, I love people say we need to restart the economy. Like it's a switch. Like you just flip the switch and everything goes back to what it was, which is ludicrous because it ground to a halt, but it didn't stop overnight, and it's not going to restart overnight. No matter what the date is, it's not going to restart. When you have unemployment that jumps, what, what is it? Ten million people applied for unemployment last week. Ten million yeah. people? Are you kidding me? That's one week. This system cannot was not built to handle this. the the whole The whole economic system of our country is built on most people working and supporting those who aren't or can't. A few small people. By the way, that's my dog barking. That's okay. You can hear that. Uh, There's apparently an animal on the television, and if there's an animal on the television, (laughs) a cartoon animal, uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's a dog, a moose, or a whale. Uh, he will bark. Oh, well. that is, that is <laughs> so that's going to be an added added benefit in the background. Nice. But what people don't realize about, you made the point about it's not a switch. The issue just isn't simply, okay, the Main Street Bakery. Okay, they're going to they're gonna reopen their, their door, right? Uh-huh. But here's the deal. The Main Street Bakery relies on multiple other supply chains. Mm-hmm. If any of those links in the chain have also gone under, which is very, very likely, just because your lights are back on, and your baking ovens are heated up. If you can't get your materials, you can't get your inventory because all the different parts of that supply chain don't work anymore. It's no good. Right. And so you're not just everyone only sees the front facing sort of end business. Right? Sure. Oh, well, the box store is back open. Yeah. But <laughs> if they can't, if all the other stuff that supports their business is not functioning, they yeah. can't function either. Well, the, the economy goes on those types of things. I'll give you an example. I work for an organization. We're trying to get an $80 piece of electronic equipment. You can't find it. If you find it, it's $300 plus or it's backordered until July. This Three weeks ago, I could have walked into any electronic store or ordered it anywhere and had it the next day for 80 bucks. Now I can't get it. And that's a piece of electronic equipment. It's not a major thing you're talking about uh the food supplies you don't think personal toilet paper paper towels and hand sanitizer there are alerts going out to people on an hourly basis hey this place has one roll of toilet paper would you like to buy it 
and it's going to cost you. My mother-in-law just bought some toilet paper. Your and youngest child. What's that? It's going to cost you your youngest child. Well, it cost her $53 for 24 rolls of toilet paper. Now, right. tell me, and I, I believe in the, the, the society we live in, you can, you can set the price based on supply and demand. So I, I'm not going to rail against people. I, I don't know if price gouging is the right word. It's opportunistic. Well, that's, that's fair. Well, it, it may be the right word, but I feel like if I have something that you want and you're willing to pay me for it, that's a capitalist system. Now, yeah, should it be? I know. Let me push back on that, though, because okay. and I agree with you, but these are not normal market conditions. No, they're okay, not. So no, what you, the relationship that you're describing between, um, you know, mature individuals on, on a, an arm's length transaction, mm -hmm. absolutely. In a normal marketplace that has not been essentially, you know, dynamited by some essentially let's say, act of God, right, this kind of pandemic, I have no problem with someone saying to you, you know what, if you want this bottle of water in the normal times and get, I'm the only store in town, I'm charging 70 bucks. You can do whatever you want. Right. I think that changes, that calculus changes in this kind of situation. And I don't know, I don't think I would go so far as to say that the government needs to step in. I will say, I do think it's immoral. I agree in with that. In that context, it is, is clearly immoral to be profiteering Yes. This kind of situation. So I'm not I'm not here to say then we need Big Brother to step in and mandate you will you will hold your prices at X. What I am saying is you're not going to get the excuse of saying, hey, supply and demand, dude. No, no, that doesn't exist right now because there's a rupture in the normal marketplace. And well, so yeah. I just I have nothing but disdain for people in these kind of circumstances that are doing that. Well, and I don't, I don't advocate it. I'm just saying I understand it to a point. But you're right; the supply hasn't changed, and I don't know that demand has has changed. If you think about it, the uh, toilet paper ratio that people are saying the average adult uses four rolls of toilet paper a week. I don't know where you're living, but I don't use four rolls of toilet paper a week. That's that's a lot of toilet paper to me. So. I don't know what they're doing with it. Maybe they're TP in houses on the, on the weekends, but I'm not using that much toilet paper. So working, you're not working in an office. You're working from home. Really? Is, is that major? Is it changing it to the point where you cannot find toilet paper? And well, well, what's this irrational fear of hoarding toilet paper? That, that's exactly the point. It, the question isn't the demand hasn't changed. This is a multifaceted problem yeah. that because people are acting out of fear, if they would simply, if everyone could maintain rationality and say, hey, you know what? As long as I just continue to buy my normal quantity of toilet paper and we're not going to have this problem, but they won't. Right. So you get enough people in the herd that say, no, 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 no. You know, I must stockpile 7,000 rolls for my panic room. And so what does that do? Then that induces that same behavior and others yeah. buying and the other people who see the shelves emptying. And yep. now you can't meet the demand because the demand is completely outsized from what someone actually needs because they can't control their emotions enough to realize, you know what, I don't need to do this. And by doing this, if enough of us do this, we're going to completely wreck anyone's ability to yep. acquire this. They don't care. And and that's I understand the hand sanitizer. I understand. I, I won't even say I understand the masks. And let, let me talk about that for a second. If you wear a mask, good for you. If you handmade one, great. I feel like you're robbing a bank, but that's fine. You can make it whatever you want. 
these masks are protecting other people from you. They're not protecting you from anything. Now, if we all wore one at all times, I guess, theoretically, we would be protecting each other because we wouldn't be spitting all over each other. But I don't know that this is any different than cold and flu season any other year. I mean, I again, I'm working in a facility where there's extra vigilance on cleaning. And they make an effort to clean the handles to doors, which begs the question, what were they doing before? Because I never saw them wipe the handle before this happened. Well, they're just not quite as meticulous. Well, they don't dust and they don't vacuum, but man, do they wipe door handles, which I guess is okay because I'm not really eating off the floor and if there's some dust on the, on the shelves. I guess it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it does beg the question, when you see, when you got all those emails, when this is all hitting, and you got an email from every store you've ever done any business with telling you we're extra vigilant on cleaning, did that not make you think what were you doing before this all occurred, and why weren't you cleaning then, or why weren't you cleaning as much? I've gone into a grocery store where they're wiping the conveyor belt off after each time. My parents are spraying off the food they get from the grocery store with a vinegar water mixture to kill. Something because like, has anyone even established that kills? No, no, no. I have no idea. Vinegar and water. It's vinegar and water. I I don't know why antibacterial soap. And we're talking about a virus. Just think about that for a second. You're washing your hands, but it's antibacterial soap to kill a virus. If you know anything about science, you can be all pro science. If you don't realize that those are two different things, one doesn't work on the other. It's not, we're doing it because maybe it's a control well, thing, I'm psychological not, thing. I'm not, I'm not an expert. My understanding is that there is, seems to be a pretty broad consensus that hand washing is something that should be done and is effective. Now, if you're going to ask me to dig into why the, the bacteria versus virus thing, um, I think a lot of it, you know, from my understanding is the, the hot water alone. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not here to say, well, the hand washing doesn't matter. Well, it's, the, it's the vigorous nature of washing your hands. It's not the soap because the soap it's it's wiping your it's cleaning off your skin with you know motion and everything and the, the hot water doesn't hurt but it's it's not the soap per se and even it's not the soap any other time it's simply the motion of 20 seconds under the water cleaning your hands and getting the, getting things off that those are just those are endemic of what we're dealing with but we truly don't know what we're dealing with so we're making irrational decisions and I apply this to the economy that aren't necessarily beneficial in the long term. We're right. closing well, things I, down. I want to expand on that point. Go so ahead. This um, we are. We're making huge seismic uh, decisions that are going to have ramifications for years. Mm -hmm. Okay, for millions of people. And this gets back to my um, impatience with. Uh, unwillingness to tolerate this message again, that how dare anyone speak up and question the, again, the quote unquote experts. So for instance, and I'm not trying to use Fauci as a punching bag here because I, look, I, I, he's good at what he does. I don't have a problem with him, but he is, he is fallible just as anyone else would be based on incomplete information. So Fauci made a statement I don't know, maybe a month ago, I don't know the exact date, where he came out and he said, we know 
that this virus is 10 times more deadly than the flu. Okay. Uh-huh. Categorically, uncategorically says, we know this. He can't possibly know that. Now, may, let me be clear. I'm not saying he's wrong. He may be, he actually may be understanding that. Maybe it's 20 times. The point is, we've talked about this. There is the numerator and the denominator. When they are making these lethality projections, they have the numerator because we know we can count the people that are tragically dying. Okay. Mm-hmm. What we don't know because we don't have adequate testing is how many people have already been exposed, have developed antibodies and gotten better. And there is possibly millions Mm -hmm. of people like that. Mm -hmm. And that number changes the denominator so radically that you could swing between a lethality rate that is very close to mimicking a typical flu season, Mm -hmm. or you could get one with these worst case scenarios. Now we're already well under that, right? Remember all the original projections were potentially 2%, 3%. They're doing this linear progression, Mm -hmm. which would mean that we would be staring at 6 million people dead, you know, 9 million people dead. That is not going to happen. But the point is, even a guy like Fauci, for him to come out and say, we know it's 10 times deadlier. No, you don't doctor. What you need to say is we don't have adequate information for me to tell you how deadly this disease is. Now, I think based on what we've seen, it is clearly more deadly than the flu, particularly for high risk people. Meaning if you are over 70 years old, if you have comorbidities, if you have respiratory problems, if you are immune compromised, all of that stuff if you get this, it is much more serious than the flu. And I absolutely agree with that. But he's making pronouncements that have no, they don't have any informational basis. We don't have that data. And right. he doesn't say that. Now, they bang on Trump all the time, right? He spouts off. He doesn't have the facts. Fauci doesn't have the facts either. There are so many things that we don't know about this. And so when I hear people tell me, just shut up and listen to Fauci. Like, well, by the way, which Fauci should I listen to? The guy in January who said that this was not a problem or the guy now who's saying it's 10 times deadlier and we could reach a million people dying. The point is it's not Fauci's problem, but let's be candid about what we can accurately project right now. And it's not a whole bunch of stuff. Well, I'm just looking at, the world map as, as we're sitting here was updated 30 minutes ago. And I'm not, I don't want to dismiss anybody's suffering or death because that that's not fair. And it's, it's not appropriate. 1.5 million cases, just over 1.5 million cases worldwide out of seven and a half billion people with 88, just over 88,000 deaths. Now we're not done and there will be more, but we have shut down the world for 1.5 million cases. Now that doesn't well, diminish these people at all. And then the chicken, well, the, the question that you would get, and it's a legitimate question is yes, but if we hadn't shut down the world, how many cases would we have? And and so that's also a, a legitimate it is. discussion. In other words, we have the, the rejoinder to you is going to be, and the reason Chad, that we only have, that many cases is because we've taken these incredibly dramatic steps. 
okay, again, that's also unfalsifiable. Sure. We don't know. Um, again, I, I want to be very clear, and I think you feel the same way. I am not here taking the position that this is not serious. I'm not even mm-hmm. taking the position that what has been done so far is incorrect. My position simply is we need as many voices as possible, including the skeptics, including multiple subject matter experts, broaching this, addressing it from every different perspective, not just medical, right? Right. Social policy, economic policy, because all of that has to be taken into account when you're formulating a way forward. And I hear too many people joining in this chorus that says, anyone who questions any of these medical experts, particularly the ones that are making this sort of worst case guesses based on these models that are revised and debunked every day, because guess what? This this continues to evolve by the hour. That is a very dangerous trend. And it's not just in the US, you see it in the UK, because mm-hmm. what they're really saying is you just they're appealing to authority. You, this man is a credentialed person. You just need to listen to everything that he says. And if you don't, you're wicked and evil and you need to be made to shut up. That is not how <laughs> democracy should work. And that is not how good policy making works no. either. Well, I think the people telling you to shut up are the ones who agree with the person making the statement. If that same expert goes up there and says something they don't, they don't agree with, they'll suddenly say, well, you shouldn't listen to this person. He's a quack. Well, yesterday he was a credentialed expert and today he's a quack because you don't agree with what he said. That's a personal decision, but it doesn't make him any more or less credible today than he was yesterday. It's just, you don't agree with the statement. I'm going to push back a little bit on, I think this is, I think this disease is probably a little more uh, lethal to populations that are probably not quite as vulnerable in a normal flu season, just just some of the age things. But again, when you see the, it really hits the comorbid illness patient who has is older, not so much the younger. And I would I would say this about this whole thing. There is no flu shot for it. And even if you got a flu shot, there's no guarantee that you'd have the right antibodies created because of it, because it's a, it's a guess months before the flu season actually hits. But the reality I know of is if you take two children and one who goes to public school and one who's schooled at home and doesn't have interaction with a lot of other kids, that one who's isolated probably doesn't get sick as much as a child, but as they get older, they're more susceptible because they haven't developed any antibodies to the illness you got a kid in public school i can guarantee they're coming home with a cold constantly because they're being exposed to so many germs but their body starts to adapt so when my daughter was first going to school she would come home sick and we'd have we'd all get something because you're always exposed to it i'm I'm sure uh, kindergarten teachers are like this all the time but as she's gotten older she doesn't get sick as often now she's not a vulnerable population other than her age but that's something that's built up in your system. We're not, as a, as a society, if we isolate, what happens the day they say, okay, now you can go back to real life? We've isolated. We have yeah. no antibodies built up as a society or well, a lot less talking, than we would have. talking about the concept of herd immunity. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, there are people that have been saying, you're going to pay the piper here sooner, sooner or later. In other words, the isolation is preventing herd immunity. And so to your point, the minute you reopen up, 
you're still susceptible. I mean, one of the scariest things about this virus, and I think this is probably true of other viruses, but maybe more so um, with this one is a lot of the experts are now saying, look, this is just the first wave. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're going to, we're going to flatten the curve. We're going to get on top of this. It's going to go down the other side, but guess what? When it fall hits, we're going to hit the second phase of this, the same ramp up. And so we're going to deal with this in multiple iterations over the next year and a half. Now that's a, that's a prospect. If that is correct, when you consider the dislocation that has already occurred on the first go around, right? In other words, we're going to have a redo of this in October, and then we're going to have another redo in in March. I mean, that is a very, very um, troubling reality. Well, is it is it that we're going to have another redo, or did we overreact in the first? instance i'm not saying we're not going to have illness and not have sickness and you're going to have that year in and year out and this covid19 whether it came from eating bats or whatever it came from it's still going to be with us and it's mutating because it's a virus that's what they do they change so that they can replicate that's how viruses work i believe we're going to have this or some version of it indefinitely and unless we can come up with an you know, a vaccine that treats it and produces the antibodies. But this is, this is just how life works. And over, over the entire history of this planet, people die off. I mean, to, to blame Donald Trump for people dying from a disease he didn't create, didn't cause, and didn't propagate is ludicrous to me. Or, or any, other, any other leader. You, I don't like Tom Wolf, governor of Pennsylvania, but Tom Wolf didn't give COVID-19 to Pennsylvanians. It wasn't his fault. No more than it's Andrew Cuomo's fault for being completely unprepared for anything and having open borders and break. Come on in. He didn't create the virus. He didn't make it occur in the United States. His reaction is, is on him, but we're trying to blame our political leaders because they didn't protect us from something they couldn't protect us from. Did we have enough masks? No, we had the amount of masks we needed. Did we have enough ventilators? We would never have enough. We would never have seven and a half billion ventilators. So that's the number you need. And we don't have enough and we can't produce enough. And we'll never have that many because they're super expensive. The distinction with the ventilators, and this has been misrepresented in the media. It's, it's not a question of that. You need a ventilator for every person. Correct. Need access to ventilators mm-hmm. for the number of people, you know, when particularly when it's at its peak, that need them. Yes, and so that's why you heard the whole thing about you know you're, we're going to need a million ventilators. No, 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 no. It's not about how each person having one. Right. It's how many do you need to be able to service th- those that are in critical need critical care mm-hmm. all at the same time. Yes, that number is not a million. No. Okay, that number hopefully is it whatever. Isn't. Hopefully it's not. 100,000. But I want to return to the point that you made about, you know, that look, this is inevitable. This is going to be with us. And mm-hmm. it gets back to this question again of, of making decisions relating to trade-offs. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and again, people don't want to talk about that because they want to morally shame you by saying there is no trade-off <laughs> it's about life or it's about you want some money. And so I read an interesting piece. I forget who wrote it. And they said, depends on... If you frame the question this way and say, so 
how much money is it worth to you if you knew that uh, your decision would cause another 30,000 people to die? Well, of course, the answer to the question frame like that is no, no amount is worth it, right? Mm -hmm. but, but that's sort of the, that, that's kind of the moral crusader way of looking at it. And what I mean by that is if you pose it a different way and say to somebody, how willing would you be to risk going back to work if you knew that in doing that, it increased your chances of dying, contracting this disease by three one hundredths of a percent. Mm -hmm. Now, when you frame it that way and take away sort of the moral bullying component, we make those kind of choices very, which which clearly relate to life and death issues every day. For instance, when you get in your car, mm -hmm. right? The risk of you getting into a fatal automobile accident, or, you know, again. Would you have a swimming pool if you knew that every year swimming pools cause 18,000 children to drown? Well, mm -hmm. expressed that way, it sounds like an abomination. You might as well concrete in your pool. <laughs> but no, we have to make these kind of decisions all the time is what is the particular risk that we individually and as a society are willing to tolerate knowing that many, many, many activities that we pursue knowingly will cause a certain number of people to die because that's the nature of living in this world. And so you can't talk about this virus in some isolation by basically saying the balance scale is only about if one person dies, then we can't do it. You, there is no, there's, you cannot run a country like that. Now, maybe someone would say that's incredibly callous. You're supposed to be a Christian. It's not. It's not a question of not caring about people dying. It's that every one of these choices has a human cost. Mm -hmm. It may not be as dramatic and instantaneous as that number that goes onto the death counter, you know, tomorrow. Yeah. But believe me, ruined lives are going to result on the other end of that decision scale. And we have to talk about that because ultimately as society – we have to restart in some way or fashion. And it's not going to be when we get to patient zero who's been cured. The last right. one is done. We can't. So uh, I want to put this in perspective. You brought up the cars. 1.35 million people die in road accidents every year worldwide. 88,000 people have died from this virus to this point. I would be shocked if we reached 1.35 million deaths from COVID-19, but we don't stop driving. Do we stop living because you might get sick to your point? Yeah. Now again, and there's, that's not a perfect analogy. No, in it's not. I would say is yes, but you know what? You just driving around in your car does not have the chance to exponentially cause a chain reaction of 40 consecutive, you know, pileups, right? Probably not. A, is a different thing. So you, and I get that, but it still takes into account the fact that these are all things that we have to consider in other human activities that have dramatic final human costs, mm -hmm. no matter what they are. Yeah. And, and you cannot have a good faith, uh, meaningful public debate when you have a chorus of people that are saying, we are not going to listen to anyone who is, who is willing to to risk lives, if that's your solution, all we do is we listen to Dr. Fauci and Zeke Emanuel, and when they tell us it's okay to come out of our caves, 
then we're good to go. That, that's just not an acceptable position. And again, my view is it's actually kind of a bad faith position mm-hmm. because those people are more interested in moralizing, right? And demagoguing and demonizing people that they agree with. And in fact, I think what they're doing is they're allowing, instead of having so-called data and facts drive policy, mm-hmm. they're having their preferred policy drive the data and facts that they want to cherry pick and hit you over the head with. They've I- reversed that process that's statistics for you they can you can make them say what you want but you you hit we're making short-term decisions emotional decisions and i believe donald trump was pushed into some emotional decisions that it, take an emotion out of the situation maybe he would not have made but maybe he would have who knows with him uh but the point is this is something that's not going to there, there's no cure for illness. It, it's going to happen. So in six months, if it happens again, do we shut down the world again? And then three months after that, we shut it down again. Cause that's, that's a recipe for economic disaster right now. They're projecting if it ended April 30th for the United States, if we got done in April 30th, the best projection is a 6.4% reduction in the economy, which is huge, huge. Massive. You think about it. The growth under Barack Obama was about two and a half percent on on the best year. And under Trump, it was closer to three, just over three. We're going to go back to two plus years ago in the best case scenario. That's not, I mean, you talk about the supply issues. Mom's bakery on the corner isn't going to open if she can't get flour and she can't get supplies. She can open the door, but she has nothing to sell. So it doesn't really matter that she's open. She can't pay her employees because nobody's buying anything because she's got nothing to give them. So that's just exponentially put that out to the rest of the world. Construction. Does construction immediately start back up? No, because people go, whoa, I just, I, I lost my job for four months. So I don't have any money to, to build that addition on the house or we can't afford to build that new building or renovate because we don't have any money. We got to get, we got to save up for some money. That's what the recession and depression happens because of people oh, hold on to the money larger okay that's a domestic focus sure international you know, it's worse all of these people who you would think you know the people that love to think globally act globally <laughs> think globally i guess right is um what happens to all of the third world countries oh yeah who are incredibly reliant on the first world economies mm-hmm. okay to allow them not to fall back into like the dark ages well What's going to happen? You want to talk about a human cost if the U.S. economy is retrenched to the point where we, and not just us, Europe, right? They can't now be at least funneling resources as minimal as they may be, depending on country to country. That area of the world is going to get hit with this tsunami. That's the next wave, right? And those people, those societies that are impoverished, they're not in a position to survive this at all. Right. They have right. no resources. They have no fallback. Right. So the, the global scale of this, you know, the ripples in the pond are going to continue to widen. So I'm just looking at this map again, and I want to point something out because we're looking at a map of confirmed cases. And they I know for a fact anything you test has to go to the CDC for confirmation to be considered, at least in the United States, to be considered a little legitimate COVID-19. So if you look at the numbers for the United States, 
about 434,000 confirmed cases, 14,762 deaths. That could be updated any minute. China, 81,000 confirmed cases, 3,000, just over 3,000 confirmed deaths, cool. wait, wait, which wait. we know we don't believe. It, um, no, not even remotely. But that's what we're, again, this is what I talked about earlier. Fake data does not produce accurate results. So if you don't have accurate reporting, you are not having accurate results and you cannot make predictive models that make any sense. It's worse than that. Give me, this is again, another, you know, example, you know, one trillion of why the media in this country um, is a disgrace. Give me one good reason why any legitimate news organization would repeat a single thing uncritically that comes from the communist Chinese government. <laughs> and yet our networks, repeat, they repeat that number and the information from China right now like it's the gospel, right? Yeah. And, oh, that, and meanwhile, everything that comes out of Donald Trump's mouth is savaged and attacked. And you know what? Fair enough. I don't have a problem holding Donald Trump to account when he says things that are false, when any president, okay? But meanwhile, these people are carrying water for the country, I shouldn't say the country, for the government that caused this and hid it and silenced people and destroyed lab samples and silenced doctors and held 100,000 strong festivals at, while this was the human, <laughs> human transmission and then allowed them to fly all over the world. And mm -hmm. yet our media, how many, how many daily hourly op-eds and tweets do you read about the latest alleged atrocity by Donald Trump? Yeah. How many articles have you even seen in any major news network with the Washington Post, the New York Times questioning what is going on in China? One of the things that we've seen, that 3,000 number, yeah. okay, we, there's reports from inside the country and from, you know, like the BBC, two funeral homes or whatever they call them over there, um, thousands upon thousands of urns for remains <laughs> in just two areas, right? Reports of giant mass graves where people are being essentially like bulldozed into these pits. And yet you still have, you know, the... Uh, ABC News and, and well, the good news is that China says there's actually actually the deaths are now in the negative. The virus has caused more people to be alive in China than dead. It's unbelievable. It's not unbelievable because it's predictable. Did you see the fact that China had a state-sponsored media propagandist at one of the recent White House press briefings? No, Literally I working for, I forget what it's called, it's like Phoenix TX, which if you if you mm. trace the money, you know, six degrees of separation, it's more like one degree of separation. It's an arm of the Chinese government. Shocking. And they're, they're, in a, they're in a White House press conference asking Trump, you know, reading off of their temp, I forget what the question was. It's like, why are you so mean to the Chinese government? And, and Trump asked him, like, who are you with? Oh, I'm with a private uh, Chinese entity. No, you're with state news for China. The first question is, why are they in one of our press conferences Exactly. Right now? Why are they even here? It doesn't make and, any sense. By the way, don't you think that 
gee, I would think that the other journalists, legitimate journalists, if that term even exists anymore, might be appalled by the fact that this individual, um, the same way they might be appalled by someone from, I don't know, Pravda sitting in, although if it was Trump, they wouldn't care, right? But that's they're so eager and so fixated and obsessed with just taking him down, they're not even bothered by the fact that one of the people that's posing as a journalist is just a uh, a prop for the, the communist Chinese government. Isn't that what we're dealing You said if there's actual journalists out there. We know there aren't. I, I think there's very few journalists, but I we didn't really talk about this before, but I really truly believe that when this is all finished or at least calms down there has to be a reckoning for china a complete reckoning for china for the way they've handled this and their bad actorness upon the world stage they have without a doubt epitomized everything you thought was evil about communism and their and their behavior and they've exemplified this is a pandemic because of I, i won't blame them for it happening i will blame them for letting it spread without this load of crap with only 3000 people died. There's over a billion Chinese and only 3000 people died, but we've got 350 million and we've got 14,000 deaths. I, I don't they believe spent, that for a second. Chinese government spent almost a month. Yep. Lying, hiding, lying about it. Oh, and then, and then the kicker is, and then getting the propaganda machine, the disinformation cr- machine cranked up and then blaming us soldiers. Yeah. For spread. <laughs> So they should, I mean, they are, they should be an international pariah. Now the danger is that's easy to say. Yeah. What does what the wounded China yeah. do? But, but I agree with you. There has to be, there will not be a spine to do this. No, there are too many. And I include Trump in that. Don't get me wrong. I include Trump in that. I don't think there's a spine from any Western leader to hold them accountable at a minimum. And I don't necessarily even agree with this policy economically. He has been willing to go to war with China on trade. Yeah. Okay. That's been one of his keynote issues. Now, look, as a, as a conservative, it's not a question of China. His whole protectionist tariff yeah. idea are, in my view, very, very misguided yeah. uh, economically. They, they have short-term benefits, but long-term pain. But nevertheless, he's at least been willing. When's the last president that called out China as stridently as Trump has? I don't really remember many of them. Um, you're not going to have any because there aren't any. Maybe now even Reagan didn't because he he was more focused on Russia. So I I don't know that there's been anybody who's called them out um, since they became communist. I can't think of any. I mean, if no, I, yeah. Um, so and and again, I encourage people because you're never going to read this um, in the mainstream media. But do yourself a favor if you're interested in kind of a blood boiling uh, review of everything that China did. Mm-hmm. Go, it's still up. Find Jim Garrity's piece, Jim Garrity, G E R A G H T Y. Okay. He's actually a really good journalist. And I don't even care what your political proclivities are. He writes for National Review. So if that makes you hold your nose, here's the thing <laughs> it's not an opinion piece, it's literally. Uh, a date by date with hyperlinks to primary sources of exactly what China did from day one to all the way through. It's like February. And it is, it is incredible. The mendacity 
the intentional way that they hid this, lied to the World Health Organization. And again, the World Health Organization, in my view, they're just another essential political arm. They're, they're supposedly one of the experts. They've been parroting China's propaganda on this from the beginning. Okay. Um, and so read through, read through that timeline and just be appalled because you're never going to find this in the New York Times. If you any of the mainstream media outlets, in fact, I don't even think these people know this stuff. But this isn't this isn't Jim Garrity's opinion. It's he's not writing like an Ann Coulter column. It's literally a clinical dissection and chronology of every single thing that they did to hide this, to subvert the truth, to silence people. And if and that's what is so obscene mm-hmm. is you have these articles daily about Trump saying, "Oh, if Trump Trump's blood on his hands, people have died." And you haven't written an article. Oh, that's fine. If you really want to go there, which I think is kind of disgraceful because <laughs> there's so many people that didn't know, but, and you're not going to write an expose about what the China, if there's anyone who has m- millions of people potentially, you know, their blood on its hands, it's the Chinese government. Because right. if they had done something done day one, there's a good chance that 95% of this pandemic could have been prevented. Right. Well, and, and, and that's where the rub comes. We, we are, we're giving them a pass because of their economic, let's be honest, they, they own a lot of our debt. And therefore, as I've said for a long time, when we have such debt in our, in our country, you don't have freedom to make decisions. You are beholden to the debt holder. You give them a pass because you kind of have to. It's like going to your parents and saying, I hate you. Can I have an allowance raise? It doesn't work. You, you can't do it because you don't have the, the leverage. And they let own me, too much of us. Let me read a very quick snippet from this piece. Sure. Again, this timeline, just to give you a sense of, and, and this, this goes on. On December 30th, okay, Dr. Li Wenlang, Chinese doctor, sent, and again, there's hyperlinks for all this. And it doesn't hyperlink back to, uh, you know, uh, Rupert Murdoch's blog. Right. Dr. Lee Wen Lang sent a message to a group of other doctors warning them about a possible outbreak of an illness that resembled severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS. Right. Urging them to take protective measures. That's December 30. December 31, the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission declares, quote, the investigation so far has not found any obvious human to human transmission and no medical staff infection. This is actually after one of their medical staff had already died, okay? They then tell the World Health Organization, China, contacts them. I think we are now quite capable of killing it in the beginning phase, given China's disease control system, emergency handling capacity, and clinical medicine support. Then this, remember the guy that reported this? January 1, the Wuhan Public Security Bureau, all of its Orwellian stuff, right? The Ministry of uh, Public Security summons Dr. Lee Win Lang, the guy who said, hey, you got a SARS pandemic on your hands, accused him of spreading rumors. Two days later, at a police station, Dr. Lee signed a statement acknowledging his misdemeanor and promising <laughs> not to commit further unlawful acts. Seven other people are arrested on similar charges and their fate is unknown. That's in the first five days of them being notified that this was human-to-human transmission and a SARS-level lethality virus. And their response is, 
to have this guy issue an apology and arrest seven other people who knew. And then it just got worse from there. Unbelievable. Isn't that unbelievable? That, it's that, not unbelievable. What do you, this is a gulag state. If you disagree with the government, you'll be lucky if you're imprisoned. You might get a bullet in the back of the head and your family will pay for the bullet. Some <laughs> people don't seem to grasp this. And so anyone who talks to you using data from the Chinese government, mm -hmm. they, like, they have no credibility whatsoever. Why no. would you do that? You can't. You you just can't listen to these people because they don't know what they're talking about, and that's a problem. I I don't think we're gonna solve it tonight, but I do. I I just think we we need to get back to work, honestly. And I'm not saying every single person. I think there are certain people who who need to be cautious and be careful. But we can. I don't believe we can survive the economic downturn. And I'm not talking about money over lives i don't think we can survive an economic downturn of what's coming because in if you think about this have you ever even in war has an entire country shut down and been viable at the end of that shutdown you know germany after world war one or world well even world war ii more than world war one they they were devastated it took decades and billions of dollars from the western world to rebuild them uh and it it took a long time there's no one i don't think there's any country that can provide that kind of economic assistance to any other country in this situation no. there, there, it, it doesn't exist i mean the united states was not devastated by world war ii in the same way that europe was europe was scarred and, and destroyed we had to rebuild it along with um your england but we, I don't, I don't usually read stuff. I just want to read one more snippet of this. Sure. Just continue to wet people's appetite about what they probably don't know. So we're still talking about January, January one. Okay. After we just talked about the same day where they arrested these people mm -hmm. who were reporting this, several batches of genome sequence results, meaning they're testing this virus mm -hmm. had been returned to hospitals and submitted to health authorities. After that happens, an employee of one company receives a phone call from an official at the Hubei Provincial Health Commission ordering the company to stop testing samples from Wuhan related to the new disease and destroy all existing samples. That's a quote. Wow. Okay? Listen to this. That same day, now this is from the gold standard. The New York Times reported this, so you can take it seriously. Cell phone data from China shows 175,000 people left Wuhan. And according to global travel data research from OAG, 21 countries had direct flights going in and out. So just think about in terms of you want to talk about New York City as an epicenter, you had 175,000 people in the infected area flying to 21 different countries on a single day on January 21 after the Chinese government said, destroy your testing samples that were identifying this virus. Okay, that's in the first week. Yep. Not shocking. I, I'm not shocked to hear that about the Chinese. Well, we're not supposed to say bad things about the Chinese government 
because it's just not constructive and it's xenophobic and racist. How about just <laughs> the truth? Well, there don't seem to be many qualms about telling the truth about wicked Kaiser Donald Trump. <laughs> the truth about the Chinese government. I'm sorry, not going along with that. Uh, nor should you. And I think that's the reality. We're, we're dealing with disingenuous reporting of what's going on. To, to be fair to everybody out there, the Spanish flu that came out in 1918, it wasn't Spanish. So that was a misrepresentation. And I understand why people say, well, don't call it the Spanish flu. This came from China. You can call it the Wuhan virus. You can call it the coronavirus. You can call it COVID-19. You can call it the Chinese virus. They're all accurate. They're all accurate because it, now people don't want to say that because as Tony alluded to, it's racist and xenophobic. But I don't know why it's racist to say it's the Chinese virus because it came from China. I mean, that's not racist. If it came from Japan, if it came from the United States, you say the United States virus. It doesn't really much matter to me ultimately where it came from. Right. The point is that where it originated, the government intentionally hid information mm -hmm. that could have prevented this almost to the point of being able to snuff it out in its crib. Yep. And now we have a global crisis. And the notion that we're supposed to not hold that government accountable, given all the other things we know about that government, is completely incredible to me. And yet you're going to have article after article saying Donald Trump has blood on his hands because New York City does not have enough ventilators. Yeah. If you're willing to write that second article, you certainly better be willing to write the first article if we're going to play the blood on hands game, but somehow not willing to do that. I don't even want to play the blood on hands game. I, I just want, I want, I want some fairness, which I know is Pollyanna to expect fairness from our media. When Jim Acosta is trying to make a name for himself at white house press briefings, and he really doesn't care who's speaking. He wants to go after Donald Trump because he's in the room. That's the kind of when he said he calls Trump a liar to his face. And then Trump says, well, you know, I'm, I'm more accurate than you are. And he says, I disagree with you, Mr. President. We're much more accurate. This is CNN. And he's actually playing that we're more accurate game. You're both liars. How about that? You're both liars. End of story. Why are we listening to? I, I don't want to hear what Trump has to say because I don't care what he has to say because he's. With the airport shut down, does CNN have what, like seven, seven viewers? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's I mean, about the face. If they, don't have their, if they don't have their involuntarily trapped yeah. uh, view public, it seems like the ratings uh, shockingly kind of plummet. Shockingly is not the word for it. I, I, I don't know if Trump is doing a good job or a bad job. And I really. I'm not of the belief. I mean, I, I read some article that said Trump should invoke all this federal power. And I read somebody else said, well, there, there's nothing constitutional about the, the federal government being able to regulate the states for something like this. And I'm not sure where I fall on that. I don't think you can blame or credit a president one way or the other on certain things. And I don't know that I fully buy. It wouldn't matter if Hillary was president right now. I don't think she would be any more effective at stopping the deaths because of what we're dealing with. I don't know how a president, I mean, he's being blamed for the CDC not being able to develop a testing right. procedure. How is that his fault? Here's what I want. If you want to, if you want to blame, if you're going to make a statement, Donald Trump 
is to blame for this because I want to know what the facts are. So identify for me the specific thing he has done or failed to do that you believe has caused this to spread. I want the, I want the causal link. Okay. And then I want to have a discussion and that's fair enough. If you can actually, I don't want to hear generalities about he, you know, he's a blockhead. He's no, no, give me the specific thing that you are challenging policy decision, the failure to act. Did he not listen to one of his medical advisors about what specific recommendation? And then tell me, because I'm fine, if that's true, go ahead and critique away. But what I want to know is, and the thing that you're solely blaming Donald Trump for, did any other people, including the people that you hold up as experts, have the same viewpoint on this at the same time? Now, if they did, and this is not whataboutism, right? Mm -hmm, You're deflecting from, no, no. My point is, if it's worth criticizing because the president failed, then I want to know all the other people who are also in positions of authority, who are making policy, who you're telling us we should be listening to. If they had the same view, number one, that seems to undercut your argument that the president got it wrong. You should at least be reporting they all got it wrong. Yes. And maybe that means because no one could get it right. We didn't have enough information. All I want is neutral factual reporting with no selectivity, no partisan hackery. And of course, I also want my own flying pig. So (laughs) that's never going to happen. But the point is, every time you hear someone engaging in this general bashing of, because you know what, my view of what Trump has done is, he's done some stuff that's not very good. He's made some statements that are completely unmoored from reality. Mm -hmm. He has made hopeful recommendations about certain things that he shouldn't have because he didn't have enough information. But on the other hand, he's done a lot of stuff right. The notion somehow that he is not listening to his medical experts, I defy someone to explain to me when that has happened because I'm not aware of it. In fact, Fauci has said repeatedly, Trump has never overruled me, even though we have disagreements when I have said this needs to happen. So what are these, what are these areas that he's gone rogue no one can seem to identify them. It's That's the Twitter. It, here. It's when he has the press conferences. I, I was listening to somebody. I think it was somebody trying to hawk their book and they were on Good Morning America. And my mother had it on. And I was watching it. And this guy said the the behind the curtain Trump is very different from the public stage Trump where he becomes a carnival barker on stage. And I can see that to a point. Where behind the stage, he's very complimentary, he's very positive, but he gets out there and he gets combative and he gets, you know, he gets to be what we know the public face is. And that's on Twitter and that's press conferences and news conferences and rallies. Again, I've said this since he, since he took the, the oath of office, I don't really care what he says. I may not like what he says. I may not approve of it. I wouldn't say it, but from a presidential standpoint, I care about what he does, not what he says. And I'm with you on that. I do think that in this kind of situation, this is where Trump's sort of verbal diarrhea, mm-hmm. you know, his motor mouth. Okay, it, it's it's not a good habit in no. any t- at any time. But in the middle of this kind of crisis, this is where it gets him into real trouble, and it is a problem. Oh, yeah. Okay, you can't you can't shoot from the lip, so to speak, on this kind of stuff. So that's where I have an issue. His words in this situation do matter. But again, to your point, 
the argument isn't just about, well, Donald Trump went to the podium and he said this ridiculous thing. All right, you know what? And if he said something that wasn't backed by facts or he didn't know, he shouldn't have said it. And he deserves criticism for that. But point me, the argument has been, he is literally defying his medical advisors. Now, that's not him talking at the podium. Right. Okay. That means Dr. Fauci or who is it, Dr. Burks. I mean, he's got this whole team, right? Mm-hmm. They told him to do X and he's done Y. Yes. I want somebody to tell me when that has happened. They when can't. he has openly said, Dr. Fauci has recommended this measure and I'm refusing to do it yeah. because. I looked at my magic golden eight ball this morning and it told me to go golfing in Mar-a-Lago. So that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy because it's based on nothing other than I hate Trump. And so Mm -hmm. everything that he does must be wrong. For instance, all these people that are screaming about Trump didn't react soon enough. Again, everyone else missed it, but that's fine. Legitimate critique. He undersold this. That's, that's, that's bad. Okay. So do many other people, but why has no one asked I, we know why. Rhetorical question. Why isn't anyone going back to Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and Chuck <laughs> Schumer and saying, hey, listen, you're the ones that are out there saying Donald Trump has blood on his hands because he undersold this. At the time that he did close flights to China, yeah. which was the day after the World Health Organization said this was a global pandemic, mm-hmm. you were on the ramparts, ramparts screaming about the fact that that was a xenophobic racist, xenophobic racist thing and that we should never have done that. Now, if you had been president, Madam Hillary, Mr. Biden, who wants to be president, and your, your apparently preferred policy had been in place, doesn't that mean that many, many more millions of people would have died because you would have been allowing willy-nilly all of these potentially infected people into the country? Sure. Do you think anyone's going to answer that question? No. Or ask that question? No. Because they don't care. It's a game. The game is... Donald Trump says something and does something, and we tell everyone that it's the wickedest, worstest thing that has ever happened. And anyone else who said anything that can also be shown to be erroneous, we're just going to ignore that and memory hole it because that's what we do as part of Team Resist. Well, I think the reality of that is if you're a Democrat, you can say anything you want and there's no repercussions from the media. If you're a Republican, you can't even misspeak once because it's constantly replayed. How about Dan Quayle? He misspelled potato. And what, when he died, what, what did you think happened? Oh, potato. He can't spell potato. He's an idiot. You know, or George Bush makes up some words and, you know, George Bush is a moron, but we're supposed to believe Joe Biden is a deep thinker, right? I mean, I, I generally agree with that, but I think the Trump, the Trump situation is a special and unprecedented case in that. Definitely. This is not just the normal, yes, the left-wing media can't stand Republicans and so they will carry water. No, no. This is a level of kind of pathology that that I I mean, I just I've never seen anything like this before. And again, people, you know, they accuse me of you're a shill for Trump, you know, get on <laughs> the MAGA pajamas. As a reminder, I didn't vote for the guy. Nope. And generally the reasons that I have now and have for a long time found myself defending him is because his, his enemies have become so hysterical, so unhinged and so dishonest in how they report on him that it's just intolerable. And it is more of a threat to our country 
then the bad manners and the bad decisions and the uncouth behavior and the poor personal character of this guy, which is undeniable. But our press has sunk to the point where they're not even attempting a veneer of impartiality. It's just, what can we do to savage this guy today? And we don't really care what the consequences are. And we're not really all that interested in in conveying any important truth to the American public. We just want to somehow see him crash and burn by any means necessary. And in my view, those people are a far bigger threat to the country than Donald Trump. Because you know what? We can vote out Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to vote out these vultures at the top of the media pyramid who are going to continue to do this stuff. Well, and you can't. And, and I'll leave you on this, and then we can we can cut out. FDR was considered this saintly. No, he was a dirtbag, but saintly uh, savior for the country. Uh, talked about his fireside chats and how he got the country through hard economic times. But if you truly look at what the 30s were, he extended the Great Depression by years. Some say five or six years and only got out of it because of World War II, because of his horrendous economic policies. So you can coddle me and then hit me over the head every time because you've coddled me into believing that you're doing the right thing. That doesn't excuse Donald Trump from acting like a moron at times and saying things that he shouldn't say and acting in a way he shouldn't act. But don't tell me it's raining as you're dumping water on me. You know, it's, that's not what it's really happening. So I don't really care about your uplifting morality and helping me feel better about the situation as, as everything's cratering around me. Now, some people may need that. I don't need that. I don't want that. And I'd rather the honest truth but other people may need that and that gets them through the next day. And, you know, I I don't, I don't want to hear about the nurses who are so overworked and can't possibly uh, take care of a sick patient. I mean, this is on a daily basis. I am reading reports and hearing locally from people who say, well, you know, I I don't, I don't think I want to take care of a COVID-19 patient. And I look at them and go, you're a doctor. You are a doctor. Well, what are you talking about? Slightly different. Clearly, you're correct in that. Okay, that's your chosen field. You know, you have you have those kind of obligations. I will say, it doesn't make it any less heroic. Um, look, that is a scary, scary proposition sure. to be daily on the front lines. Doesn't matter that you're a doctor. You're a human being, mm-hmm. and you have a family, and you yourself may have, you know, high risk factors. And so I, I have nothing but praise um, because I, I will tell you, you know, Chad, and you know, we're, we're both Christians. And mm-hmm. so we're told we're not to fear, you know, we, we rely, we have to rely on God, particularly during these kind of situations. But for someone like me, who's high risk, mm-hmm. um, there have been days where, you know, I have had kind of like this, just very low level, persistent anxiety about this because sure. it's a it's a scary thing. Now just imagine I'm sitting in my house. Mm-hmm. You're watching people struggling for life on ventilators. Yep. Right? Knowing that these people are infected, that you're treating them day after day and what's it going to take some small slip up for this to be in your system? 
that is an incredibly frightening thing and it's and it's courageous. So I agree with you fundamentally that look, this is what you signed up for. And I think most of them understand that. But mm-hmm. I would never not extend, you know, just incredible admiration and and you know grace and hopefully you know prayer for protection for these people because it is a it's a scary thing. And that kind of that mindset, if you let it, it creeps in, right? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Kind of insidious. Like you see everyone around you, they've got the masks. Like it almost becomes like the world is kind of dislocated. And so you can feel it like trying to get a toehold, sure. you know, on you. Like I just, it's unease. It's, uh, it, you have to, you literally have to make a conscious effort uh, to fight it off. So uh, I want to issue one challenge before we go. Sure. Because if there is anyone who's listening to this, and I'm sure there are some that are saying, man, <laughs> Tony and Chad, particularly Tony, you know, you are such a bootlicker for <laughs> Donald Trump. So here's the thing. Uh, I want someone to come up with, you pick it, the top three things that your indictment of Donald Trump's handling Okay, if we're going to go down this road, right, which I think you and I both agree is not productive, okay, but fine. If we're going to go down this road of we have to be truth tellers to power, right, Uh, a friend of ours um, has used that expression. Mm -hmm. If we're going to do this, then I want to see the top three things that you claim Donald Trump has failed to do. I want to hear the basis for, you know, why you believe that. Just give me the specific line, you know, the line item, one, two, three. He failed to do this. This happened, and then we will talk through whether or not factually, and maybe it is, that that is a legitimate criticism in the context of everything else that's been going on. And again, I've already said there are things to criticize, strongly criticize about how Donald Trump has handled this. But I think it would be interesting to see, let's have the concrete indictment, let's hear the evidence against, and let's weigh it against the factual record and see if it stands up 717-739-5432 717-739-5432 take tony's challenge um i i i dare you because i don't i don't think you can come up with it I, you can come up with your own planted belief on things but give me some factual steps but what i want to know is is it a selective focus mm-hmm. right so I, we'll talk through it yeah. i have I have no qualms criticizing Donald Trump. What I can't tolerate is this obsession and fixation on him to the exclusion of anything else and the inability to at least articulate, hey, you know what? He got that one really wrong, but that was a pretty good decision, mm-hmm. right? He's working pretty well with Andrew Cuomo. He's he's sending all this federal aid up to New York, right? Any Have you heard anyone say anything like that? A no. single report. Donald no. Trump is credit for making a smart decision, even though I think he is the you know, the second coming of the Kaiser, and I hate <laughs> him with the passion of a thousand sons. But today, he yeah. actually got something right before he kicked his cat. So yeah. let's let's have let's hash it out. If if you think that we're carrying water for this guy and defending him when it's indefensible, then let's let's go through it. I like myself a good. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't think you're gonna. Let's let's have it. Well, we'll see. I, I just want to clarify something on the the doctor thing. I don't disagree that it takes a lot of courage to go in in these situations. I think that was something you chose, and it, it can be very scary and very disheartening and very uh, fear. You can be very fearful. 
regardless of you know if you're a Christian or not, I think it takes a certain mindset to be in that field. And I've seen nurses and doctors who stepped into that. Maybe they were fearful inside, but they didn't show it on the outside. It bothers me when when people say, I'm here in this chosen profession to take care of sick people, and suddenly there's a sick person, and I refuse to take care of them. And I have seen that in the last week. And that, that, that saddens me because we need people willing to do that. I, we need people who are willing to be soldiers who are going to lay their life on the line for the rest of us. We need people in medicine who are going to push the envelope and try to uh, save and protect those around us. So, you know, and, and it's no less for the people out there considered essential. I joked about that at the beginning, but it's no less essential for people to be getting the supplies back and forth. And we don't yeah. talk about them enough uh, because I think, you know, people keeping the, I joked about the wiping the handles down, but that needs to be done. It should always be done, but it, it needs yeah. to be done right now as a protective way, measure. So, what you, said, you know, somebody who's in that field, who's flatly saying, I'm just not going to do it because it's too hard is, is very similar to, okay. Someone who enlists in the military and then goes, AWOL, or it right? says, I don't want to fight. I just want to get the paycheck. <laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I'm not trying to joke about that. In other words, yeah, it's the biggest thing that they've done, but there has to be rules. In other words, sure. you don't get to say as a soldier, I I'm done with this. Cause guess what? I don't like these bullets whizzing past. Now right. the rejoinder well, you wouldn't like it either, Tony. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't, but I hadn't undertaken to do that. And so it comes with certain responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so we should be praying for those people. Oh, yes. Supporting. But that doesn't mean that you're then, that you can just walk away. There, there's consequences for that chosen path. Yes. And, and that's, that's all I'm trying to say. I, if you've chosen that path and you don't, you can't fulfill that maybe you've chosen the wrong path and I don't care how far you're down on the educational uh, spectrum. The expectation is we have to be able to rely on those people to do those things, whether it's picking up garbage, mopping a floor or walking into a COVID-19 room. We, we need the people to do their jobs. And if that's too scary for you, then it's probably good if you're not in that field. And, and we also have a responsibility to make sure that those people have what they need. To exactly. Do exactly. So when you're out there taking all the hand sanitizer and shoving it in your closet so you can, you know, bathe in it every night and you're taking all the masks because you think, well, I've got an N95 mask and I need to be protected from sitting in my chair and going to my kitchen. Think about that when you're doing it. That that's all I'm asking. Don't don't take supplies that are much more needed by by somebody else simply because you're fearful. And I understand the fear. We're all fearful at different times. We're all anxious. And when everybody else seems to be cracking around you, it's it's really difficult to not kind of get some of that same feeling, especially if you're sitting around at your house and you're sitting around and you're all. My daughter was fearful about a week and a half ago, and I had to have a conversation with her because she was watching different videos and everybody was talking about COVID-19 and ev everybody was taking their having their take on it. And I said, you're a little girl. Stop watching all of that. Just be a little girl. I said, God is in control, but we will watch out for you. But God's in control ultimately about everything that happens. You just be a little girl and stop watching any of that. And you know what? When she stopped looking at it and stopped hearing it constantly, she's been much happier. I'm not saying there aren't moments when she knows, hey, we're trapped here. 
and I can't go out and do what I want. I'm not in school, but at least she's kind of isolated from that a little bit. I think we can fixate on, okay, let's update the numbers on, on the computer. Let's what's on TV, what's going on right now and here and there. It, it's, it's news media and they will always give you the negative and very rarely give you the positive. So you have to take that into account and maybe just shut it down. We, we have a friend who doesn't have, he has a TV, but he only watches movies on it. He doesn't ever watch TV reads. So he's not being exposed in the same way the rest of us are for that paranoia uh, about everything going on. And it's not that there's nothing bad going on. There is, but sometimes you need to disconnect a little bit and say, okay, God's in control. I'm going to go about what I got to do, but I'm not going to watch this. We're going to play games. Great thing has been happening for my family. We play uh, Uno uh, through a video chat with my brother in, in Arizona and his daughter. And, you know, it's, it's kind of fun. It's, it's a little challenging, but there are certain hiccups with the tech, but at least we feel like we're connecting. Uh, and, you know, video chat, yeah. Uno does sound fun. What's that? The video chat Uno does not sound. Fun. Well, maybe it's not Uno for you, but no, no, like Uno, but trying to do it on video like that would seem to be. It's not though. It, it, you think. You think it would be too much, and maybe for you being the tech guru that you are, it's just it's beneath you. But for others, it's 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 a connection because online. Well, <laughs> I'm getting out every day, but nobody else in my family is, so it's a connection for them where they feel like I'm still socializing without physically being there. It's not the same as being next to each other, but it's at least some connection. My daughter's birthday was today. And we got a Zoom call together for all of her friends and family to sing happy birthday to her on the computer and brought the laptop into the room. And it, it moved her because she felt bad because she couldn't have the party we had planned and she couldn't have her friends with her. But at least they all were there so happy to see her and cheer her on. And I know it made a difference in what she was feeling. She had a good day, but it was like, well, I'm not really with the people. I'm not with everybody I'd like to be with. And that was a help. Now it's not that it doesn't replace everything, but it, man, just to see that smile, you're going, wow, that's a pretty good deal that you can do something. And it surprised her and, and totally unexpected. So there are ways we can connect. There are ways we can make each other feel like we're, we're together. I think for Tony and I, this is a, for me, I I'll be, this is kind of therapeutic for me to be able to talk with him because, you know, I'm, we're not living in the same area. We don't see each other as much as we did. And right now, nobody sees anybody, so it's really difficult. But I think it's important for you to reach out and connect with people when, however you can. Maybe you write letters, you know, make keep the post office running. Write some letters to people that you haven't talked to in a while or stay off Facebook. I think that's probably evil, but everything else is probably okay. I think, I think next week we need to have a more lighthearted show. <laughs> Let's talk about sports. Well, yeah, <laughs> I do want to, I, I do want to, maybe I'll have a rant about the things that I hate about Zoom. Uh, so that, there's a lot to hate about that. It, it yeah. works if you understand the limitations, but I understand how you could have hatred towards Zoom and you hope your internet connection sticks around long enough to uh, make it worthwhile. So anything uh, else you want to add tonight? We've gone really long, but we haven't talked in a while. So we had to normal damage quotient so i think we're good <laughs> well thank you for joining us folks i'm chad i'm tony good night
This has been a Hannah Tree production.